Hi everyone and welcome to another podcast of Globalize Asian. Pride London Parade completes 13 years this weekend of successfully organizing the world famous LGBT event in central London. LGBT, I lesbians, gays, bisexuals and transgenders is a term used to emphasize diversity of sexuality and gender identities. Where many countries have embraced LGBT's inclusion into their legal system and extended their rights to same-sex marriages and adoption. Unfortunately, we still have many countries who look upon them as unnatural and against the will of God. There are many foundations and activists around the world who fight and stand for their constitutional and human rights. Today we are talking to an LGBT activist Makinda Chahal. He works for a health charity aimed at LGBT community in Midlands called Trade Sexual Health. Let's find out his story of growing up in the UK as a gay British Asian man. Hi Makinda and uh, thanks for traveling all the way from Birmingham to join us here for this recording. And um yeah, I think we're going to have a lovely conversation today. So to begin with, just tell us a bit about yourself and the growing up years in the UK. How was it like? Yep, so um I grew up in a very rural part of England, um in in the heart of England in Leicestershire, uh in a predominantly very white community. So when I was growing up, um it was a very, you know, there weren't any other Asian people around. Uh, we were one of the first Asian people to live in the village where we were. That was predominantly because my dad had a shop there. So we started off that, that life, you know, in a village with with a corner shop, as you know, very stereotypical as it is. Um, but yeah, so that that was that was life for me really. And mum and dad came over to the uh, UK in the nineteen sixties um, as part of that kind of that first wave of um, immigrants coming over from India. Um, my mum came first and then my dad followed later. Um, my mum my came over with her whole family, whilst my dad came over by himself. So two very different stories coming from that perspective. Um, but yeah, so I mean, growing up in that, in that very rural environment, I think shaped me as a person as I am today. So a lot of people may say to me, if, especially if I'm talking to other Asian people, well you're not very Asian whatever that even is. Um and that's partly because of my background, you know, growing up surrounded by white people, I automatically just assumed that I was no different to anybody else and so therefore I was I was raised in that exact same way where I didn't feel any difference. The only difference really was the color of my skin and even then that wasn't really obvious on a day-to-day basis. Interesting. And do you have any siblings as well? Yeah, so I've got a younger brother who's a uh, one year younger than myself and then an older sister. So that makes me that notorious middle child. So while growing up, so that was your family background mm-hmm. and uh, what kind of community you grew in. But uh in your early years, uh you know, let's say when you were a teenager or even perhaps before that, did you in any way feel different? um or uh, were were interested towards different things or different hobbies or how 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 was it did, or or did you feel that you could assimilate quite well yeah i think when I, when i was at school i think the teachers saw real uh, musical potential in me so you know i was a very good singer i played a couple of musical instruments as well um and they and that was and they saw the potential in me which not necessarily other uh, children around me had and so um, then the teachers really invested in me to then pursue that to some extent for a couple of years when I was at school 
having said that, I didn't feel any different in any other way, shape or form. As I, as I touched upon, um, you know, the colour of my skin, that was never really a massive issue. I just felt, you know, there was no difference. And I think when you are younger, when you are a child, you don't necessarily notice those differences, even though it may be very obvious to people around you. It's not something which you recognise immediately. But, you know, in relation to growing up surrounded by my peers, I didn't really feel any different to anybody whatsoever. Um, I was very good at, um, at um, academically, likewise with my older sister. Um, but for me, I think my passions were really with music and singing at that, from a, but under the age of 10, really. Right. Then growing up I, from between 10 to 13, I still pursued some of the um, singing within uh, college and also then started to pursue sports because I was fairly tall for, for my age on average. So people naturally thought I'd be very good at things like basketball, which I definitely wasn't, but I gave it a shot. I definitely gave it a shot. And you know, that, that kind of then started to gather my interest in different areas of life, but it wasn't, I didn't really feel any different to any other person in any way, shape or form. Right. So when, when exactly, what, what, what age group were you when you felt that there's something different in terms of, um, your preference to, you know, your partner, so to speak. Yeah, I think I think when I was around about nine, ten years old, um, I definitely felt there was there was definitely something which was different, but I just couldn't really put my finger on it. Um, it was one of these things where you know I I naturally had lots of friends who were girls, um, not so many who were boys, and I didn't naturally partake in many sports when I was under the age of ten. Um, what and which felt quite natural to other boys around my age. Um, but other than that, nothing really different. And then I think it was only when I got to 12, 13, when actually, you know, there were peers around me who were dating, you know, started to date other people around them, you know, girlfriends and boyfriends and things. And for me, as a boy, to have, to feel that I should have a girlfriend or a partner who is female, just didn't feel natural to me. It just didn't, it was something which didn't necessarily feel was right for me to do. Although I did try it and I mm. tried to force myself to think, actually, no, everybody else is doing it. Maybe I should actually just try to have a girlfriend. Um, but even then, even when I did have a girlfriend, it just didn't, natu- it didn't feel natural to me whatsoever. And so then at that, at that time in my life, it, it was, you know, I kind of withdrew from that and actually focused more on my studies than anything and actually try to ignore all of my emotions and any feelings which I had, which didn't feel right based upon um, how I've been brought up or what society dictates and tells you to be like. Um, and so, yes, I just focused more on my studies then. Were you aware of the gay community in, 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 in the society at, at the, at, um, while you were growing up? Not, the, not in the slightest. I didn't even know what the word gay was. Um, I, the only the only way the only way I heard the word gay was in a very derogatory way. So using it as a put down for someone. So you know, saying "Oh, that's so gay," meaning rubbish. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I'd heard the word gay being used. So I'd never really heard it used as a, a sexual orientation or a sexual preference ever until I got to about the age of fifteen, sixteen. So that so by the time fifteen, sixteen, I was probably in that was probably the early two thousands. But before then, I had no idea about LGBT, gay community, gay people whatsoever. Because, just because 
There weren't many people depicted within media. There wasn't anybody within my immediate family or friends or relatives who I knew of. So actually, I just didn't come into contact with anyone. And did that give you a sense of identity once you were aware what gay means? And could you relate that in your own way? I don't suppose it gave me a sense of identity. If anything, it made me feel very isolated, feeling that I was the only person who felt like this. And, you know, growing up in the area that I did, that's when I started to then feel some differences. If if I was gay, then I then started to notice other things that were different about me, which didn't necessarily have a negative impact upon me, but ultimately it was was for me having to understand what gay actually meant was a real challenge. Um, so I didn't necessarily find that sense of community straight away as soon as I discovered what the word gay meant and how the, that specific word related to me. I think that idea of gay community came a lot later on in my life, but not at that stage when I was discovering who I was. So you had, uh, clearly you had conflicting thoughts growing up from the age of, let's say, 12, 13 mm-hmm. when you were an adolescent. And there was about, till, up until when you were 15, 16, when you were fairly certain that, that you know, you were, you were of a different sexual orientation. So, uh, from what you've said so far, there was clearly not a support system around or an established community or service that you could look towards. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of things what I wanted to check was, you know, you carried on then um, and studied, you were doing well in academics. What subjects did you take after that? Did you go on to take um, two majors at, at university, a particular subject? Yeah, so yeah, so so I, I finished GCSEs in the UK and then went yeah. on to do my A-levels and then did, did go on to university yeah. uh, to do undergraduate degree. Um, however, before I got to university and during my A-levels, that was a time where a lot of these thoughts that I'd suppressed were really coming to the surface. I was basically going out of control. Um, my my studies were really being affected. Um, everything just seemed to be going wrong. And ultimately that was down to me suppressing my emotions and not addressing an issue which needs to be spoken about out aloud before progressing in life. And so at that stage when I was 16, 17, I decided to come out to my parents. So I told my parents, that I am gay. Um, you know, it was it was a very difficult time because I didn't have any support around me. The only real support that I had were my peers. So some of my friends who I had told pre- prior to telling my parents, um, but I wasn't too sure how they would be able to support me enough if things took a turn for the worse when I did come out to my parents. Um, but fortunately, when I told them that I was gay. Um, I mean, it was very difficult, very emotional, um, traumatic time. Um, It was actually my mum who didn't take it too well. She was very overwhelmed with emotion. Um, But my dad, thinking fairly rationally, wanted to support me in some way. He wasn't too sure how, and he wasn't too sure what it meant or the words I was saying. He He didn't understand what they meant because... It was something which had never crossed their mind. It's something they never really had to think about. And I don't think ever any parent really thinks about the day that their, their son or daughter or child will tell them something which will ultimately, potentially, how they would perceive turning their world upside down. There's always this, there's always this mindset that, you know, when, when people become parents, that they want 
they've got this life set out for them. You know, they want them to live this life how parents want them to live it, but it's not necessarily the way the child may want to live that life. And so when I did come out um, to my mum and dad, I explained to my dad, I said, listen, I can still have all of the things in my, in my life that you want me to have. They're just not going to be the way that you want me to do it. And I think that's a really key thing that, you know, that I've, when I've spoken to other people about it is, it's not, it's not having a completely different life. It's having that same life, but there's going to be different barriers and different challenges along the way, which you may have not had. And a lot of that just focuses mm. down just the sexual orientation of somebody. So that was 15 and 16, as you said, when you were 15 and 16 years old. <clears throat> that's, that's one of the ages where, you know, you're a teenager and uh, hormones are changing and, you know, we keep changing our um, requirement of what we expect from ourselves. A lot of parents don't take that age very seriously because they've gone through that themselves. Did, they, did your parents took you seriously straight away or did they thought it's a phase of your life? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a phrase which comes up very regularly. Oh, it's just a phase, you'll get over it over time. Um, but, you know, it was something that I'd been thinking about for a number of years to, to before getting to the point of telling them. Um, and so, yeah, it's something that I had thought about. And so I, I definitely knew it wasn't a phase. Mm. You know, I definitely knew that, you know, it, this is, I definitely wasn't heterosexual. I knew that as a fact. Mm. Um, but then how, how that then is interpreted or then, you know, how people then look at that is very different depending on the individual. I think with my, with my parents, they almost, they almost took it as a loss. So kind of, you know, they were losing uh, a part of their family or something which they wanted. So, you know, almost like mourning really. Mm. But, um, but it wasn't. And I had to explain to them, I am still the same person I'm still their son I'm still the person they have born and raised um you know throughout my childhood and just re-emphasizing that point that you know there's nothing different about me the only thing that's different is what you thought I was I'm not and that was the only thing mm -hmm. and I think when people when young people are definitely exploring <clears throat> themselves around that age it is one of these things where you know it, it, it does take a lot of courage to be able to define and understand who you are as a person without society telling you what is what is right and what is wrong and I think that's why a lot of people do struggle when they do come out and I have my own struggles um, but not everybody goes through those same mm. struggles okay and so clearly you you, you know you've uh, you've had your parents inside and they're the first people uh, that you confided in uh, which I think is commendable. After your friends, you looked towards your parents and uh, you hoped that they would understand, and they did to some extent, uh, even though this was two decades ago, but they, they, warm, they did warm up to the idea. Now, this is obviously your family, uh, Makinder. There, there are obviously lots of other uh, people like yourself growing up, going through the conflicting thoughts and emotions, especially at the ages when, you know, like you said, people are having girlfriends, they're just interacting with the opposite sex. What would be the one thing you would say to to people from that age, um, how would you have done things differently now that there's so much established in terms of the support system? Um, what should they do apart from telling their families? And you know, on that note, how how did you then um, come towards looking for help outside? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, the one thing I would urge for people is to seek support because there are support systems out there, regardless of what country you're in, regardless of if, you know, same-sex marriage or same-sex relationships are legal or illegal, there, there are always support systems out there, if not on a local or national level, but def on an international level. Um, so, and, you know, and I think when I, was, when I was growing up from a young age, it was the very early stages of the internet. So now the internet is out is out there now and everybody can access it so well the majority of people can access it but it's one of these things where you can actually find a lot more support online than you could have done previously and i think that's why a lot more people are coming out not just younger people but also older generations of people as well who have maybe potentially gone through that whole system or, or i would say system of life but you know the, pro the process of life and actually not wanting to do anything different but they've got to a stage where they've got married they've had kids but actually they've all done that under false pretense and actually they've wanted to they've finally built the courage or spoken to other people who are in very similar situations to them to then come out and be true to themselves and you know I, I, I always admire people who do take that step even later on in life because I think when you're young and a lot of people do still see LGBT issues as a very younger generation thing when actually it's not you know it can affect you know being LGBT isn't necessarily subject to one specific time in your life it mm. could be at any stage of your life and so you know i mean i've spoken to lots of older people who have come out and you know there's a obviously when, when older people come out there's a lot more a lot more things to think about in relation to how many other people it is going to affect if it does affect anybody at all but the one thing i would suggest to people is to seek that support um I didn't have that support when I was there, I just had my peers and even then I wasn't too sure how they would fully support me but you know there are NGOs and charities which are out there to just to talk to mm. and also a variety of role models online and I think you on YouTube there is a platform where people can you know speak their mind, share their experiences and support one another to ensure people don't feel alone and that's exactly how I felt prior to coming out, but now there's, you know, people don't have to feel alone anymore. Well, talking about seeking help and creating awareness, obviously that's what your current job is, which is uh, as a volunteer with the Trade Sexual Health Organization in and around Midlands. Uh, so talk us through that. I mean, how did you got engaged with them and what kind of initiative they carry within the community? Yeah, so Trade Sexual Health is a health and sexual health charity, as you said, it's based in the East Midlands. Um, although we have a, a focus on sexual health, we look at health in a really holistic way to view how different areas of one person's health can then affect their, over, their sexual health and overall health in the long run. So, you know, when it comes to seeking support around being LGBT, it, ha it can have a massive impact on an individual's mental health, for example, and how that impact on mental health can then lead to people to then put themselves at risk of things like sexually transmitted infections and HIV, it's understanding how different elements of health um, work together in order to shape an individual. And so with the, with the work that we do is about supporting individuals on a one-to-one -one basis, we offer counselling, HIV testing, and it's, it's all these elements which will then help and support individuals throughout their life, not just at the time of them wanting to come out or even thinking about coming out. And some people actually decide not to come out and that's completely fine because everybody, 
everybody has their own journey. Everybody would want to do things their own way. Sometimes there's that, sometimes people feel there is a pressure to come out, but actually if the time's not right, that's completely fine. So we never pressure people to do things that they don't want to do, but we show people the options that are available to them and then give them guidance with whichever options they want to um, follow through. I think coming closer to home and our communities, we possibly can't have this conversation not uh, focusing a little bit on that. Uh, because as you're aware and very well aware, it can be possibly not so much growing up here in the UK, but perhaps growing up in India or in any, in any other age, Southeast Asian country. Uh, the taboo is immense. There's this social stigma with it, and it still is. We've come a long way, like with, with the help and the support people can get. But there's still so much work to be done. So what what do you think could could be... Um, could help with our communities in terms of you know people choosing to get help, official help? I mean, like I said, now with the rise of the internet, that help is so accessible, more so than ever. And and you're right, you know, there is still, uh, there is still the stigma taboo within South Asian communities. Um, part of that cultural, some parts of that may be religious as well, um, but everybody takes their different stance on it depending on your background. So there's no one-size-fits-all approach to supporting an individual, but it's about understanding an individual's specific needs and then supporting them around that. So when it comes to supporting South Asian individuals, there's a, there's a, massive, there's a massive impact an individual thinks it could have on their community, their family life, how their family are seen within a community, and then, then how large that community is. So you can look at that community on a cultural level, so your ethnic background or identity, then there'll be a religious community. So I think for South Asian LGBT people, they more often than not see the impact it would have on everybody around them, but not the impact it would have on them as an individual. Mm. And I think that's where they will then prioritise other people's happiness over themselves and that's why a lot of South Asian LGBT people really fear coming out or talking to other individuals because they don't want their wider family or even their immediate family to have any negative impact affect them. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, nicely put there, I mean, uh, coming from India, you know, there is a lot of social stigma around how other people perceive you and whether you are following the rules of society as they grew up in and yeah lgbt if you are born as an lgbt or if you are one of those who wants to pursue that life it it is very difficult and uh, this is you know my um, first-hand experience uh, coming coming from india i know quite a few people in especially in mumbai who are visible in terms of you know a lot of people hiding and they're carrying on with their regular lives but mm. Yeah, yeah, you're right on, on that front. Um, is, is there, uh, coming back to UK, is there any story you would like to share which kind of um, highlights how um, your organization has helped an individual? I'm sure there might be few, but is there anything which stands out, which you know our listeners across the world can uh, relate to and probably you know draw some, um, some level of um, confidence and then some level of... Uh, um, you know, they can relate to that story. I mean, I think I think the key thing is social support and support from peers. Um, so within our organisation, we have a, a South Asian and Middle Eastern LGBT social support group called Dorsti. 
Um, and with that group, it's actually people coming together to socialise, to meet other people. So that immediately addresses individuals not feeling alone or isolated because they can actually physically meet somebody who they can relate to on some level. Mm. Um, and then the supportive element kind of coincides with that. So it's, it's sharing stories, different experiences. Some people who have come to the group may have already come out. Some people may be thinking about it. Some people may be married. You know, they may be married to an opposite sex partner and have children. So people come in with all these different perspectives and actually sharing those stories is probably the most powerful thing that individuals can do to then help empower them to make changes within their own lives. So although it's, you know, it's, although it's fairly broad, it's not a specific story, but it's about you know, having a social group there where people can come mm. to learn from one another and to feel that they aren't alone. And because, a lot, because a lot of the experiences people go through, they aren't isolated. A lot of people feel the same things or go through similar things, whether it's a religious pressure or, you know, a cultural pressure or people are getting to a certain age where they're getting family pressure to get married and they don't necessarily know how to address those issues. So they are very culturally relevant, specifically down to the back, to our background. And I think that's what makes South, this South Asian and Middle Eastern LGBT group a lot more supportive than a mainstream, wider LGBT support group, especially in the UK. But, um, you know, as far as we're concerned, when we shouldn't feel the need to explain our being female or male to somebody, we certainly feel the need to explain why, how and when and mm -hmm. why we're gay. Um, and this is clearly not a problem of the individual. It's it's something that the family or the support system should should understand, yeah. and it shouldn't come mm. as a so-called shock, which it certainly does. Mm. Now, in terms of that, in terms of helping people around the individual, what's out there? Um, do families take well to the idea of attending some of these workshops or you know events organized around it, mm. or they feel they just do not need to? I think, I think a lot of the time, and especially within England, they, they will, you know, South Asian communities may see LGBT as a Western phenomenon. So it's nothing that's not going to affect them because it's something which has been brought in from the West. And it, and it, and it isn't. <laughs> that's just the crux of it. It isn't. Um, it's something which has always been there, but never necessarily spoken about. And I like how you, I like how you say, you know, where people don't necessarily question if somebody's male or female. But once again, nobody really questions if anybody is heterosexual. It's just the assumption that everybody is heterosexual. Mm. So nobody, so people don't have to, you know, when they're introducing themselves to somebody, it's like, hello, my name's so-and-so, and I'm a heterosexual. You know, people don't do that. But then with, with LGBT communities, you have to do that because then otherwise you may not get that same level of support or understanding which people may want from you. Because it, it can be a very important factor when, within an individual's life, or it may not be. It all depends on, on that kind of background. And even in relation to um, getting medical support, sometimes, you know, the, like if, if you're in a same-sex, if you're, you've got a same-sex partner or a same-sex marriage, and you want to talk to your doctor about informing like your partner, a lot, a lot of the time if they perceive you as male, they'll be like, oh, do you want me to contact your wife? So a lot of it is very heteronormative and actually breaking down that heteronormativity is, is a big, it, it, that has to be a societal shift and a societal change. Mm. So even using words such as partner, we know, so get, getting rid of that whole male and female element and making it more generic can make LGBT people feel a lot more 
or a lot, lot less isolated or feel a pressure that they may be treated differently because they are LGBT. Mm. And in, in your experience dealing with LGBT community within, within your uh, working environment, do you feel um, that LGBT community uh, have to face a bigger challenges professionally when mm-hmm. it comes to, you know, whether, because it can be stereotyping as well, that, you know, LGBT community are mostly around creative uh, professions rather yeah. than in, um, you know, the heterosexual yeah. profession, so to speak, to just to label it. But do, do you feel that there are a lot of health, like depressions and things like that, where people are getting affected uh, in those sense where they are in a... In, a, in an office or in a professional environment where because of their sexual orientation mm-hmm. they are not progressing as they should yeah I mean so, some people definitely perceive it that way and they feel that especially in very heteronormative work environments and I can specifically talk about male heteronormative work environments when you know people feel that if they do come out and do tell people about their sexual orientation it will jeopardize their chances of promotional progression within their career um, so a lot of the time people may actually stay in the closet and you know don't disclose their sexual orientation because of that fear and then once again it's looking at that impact will have on other people have they got a partner have they got a family so there's lots of things which people will think about mm. um, but yeah that is right but also as well one thing I want to say is Although the LGBT community is seen as one collective, they are also individual communities underneath the LGBT umbrella term. So it's a gay and bisexual men, lesbian and bisexual women. So once again, you may still see if there's any gender gender gap or gender stereotype, that may still be within the LGBT Mm. community. So it's not necessarily to say that just because, you know, gender is addressed within wider community, there may still be microaggressions within the LGBT community where communities will discriminate against what other communities and I can expect and I can talk about my, the UK experience where racism is very much rife within LGBT communities so LGBT communities within the UK are very much seen as white middle-class male so if you don't fit within that, that any of those categories you're already a minority within the LGBT community and a lot of the time people feel they have to climb over one another to get to the top of this imaginary hierarchy that people perceive. And I think that happens within any community, you know, it could be based on, you know, caste, um, ethnicity, anything. People always feel the need to get to the top by suppressing other people to then get to that point. And so that's still very, very much an issue within the LGBT communities as well. And I think, you know, it's a shame that it is it is that way, but ultimately people need to come together to see that, you know, there are wider issues within society that need addressing, but you can only do that as a collective. When a community is so fragmented, it, you know, it's nothing can be achieved. People have to come together, united, and make a front to then support one another equally and fairly. That's very well said, Makila, and, you know, on a... On a on a more positive note, so to speak, uh, where things are at the moment from the time that you were growing up and you had to really um, discover yourself in terms of what, what the support system was like, how can you get help and support. There's clearly much out there and we've moved on. But one interesting thing is that 
especially in India, when you see uh, the role of cinema in changing people's perceptions. Uh, a couple of recent movies that came out, Aligarh being one of them, which which had a huge impact in terms of how people uh, look at uh, uh, people with different sexual orientation. Um, it, I think that could play a massive role in, in, in reforming society as a whole, even though we know that we don't have the bill passed yet in India and there's lots of um, movement for that to happen. But I think what's also happening is prominent authors, people from the show business are getting out there and really expressing their views simply because they've been there and they are. Towards the end, I would, I'd just really like to get your final thoughts on, you know, what, what positive change do you see um, going forward? Because everybody, I think the basic requirement for any individual is to just be a part of the society and mm -hmm. be accepted. You shouldn't have to fight for it or yeah. go on protest, protests for it. Um, so yeah, just to get get some final thoughts from you. Yeah, I mean, I think visibility is definitely key. So you know, where you know across the world, and especially in India, there's a lot more pride marches and pride walks happening across different cities. But I think you know, although a lot of people, although it's great that these pride walks and marches are happening within cities, there needs to be a lot more work done in rural communities because I think you know, not everybody can go to a city to then live this LGBT life w without fear of any repercussions and you know I think a lot more work needs to be done across the whole community everywhere so regardless of background although you know some people may not have an opportunity to move from a, a rural community to a more urban community within cities that might not actually be an opportunity there might no, may not be an opportunity there for people so it's about creating those opportunities and that visibility in all areas or as many areas as possible um, yeah, so visibility is definitely key, but also supporting one another as well. Um, and not necessarily, you know, not having hatred between one another based upon your religion, your caste, your whatever background. It's about coming together and understanding, actually, you know, we need to support one another because, you know, wider society doesn't accept us or doesn't or can't see us for who we are. And although, you know, as you said, you know, people do go to protests and marches, but a lot of the time people go to those for those people who feel that they can't. Mm. So they're going to there and they're making a statement by saying, we can do this, even in a country like India where it is illegal to be in a same-sex marriage under Section 377, people still have that confidence to go out there, you know. There aren't going to be any repercussions, but people can still protest and can have that visibility to see that, you aren't alone. There is a community bigger than you think. Mm -hmm. It's just about finding it and seeing it for yourself. For some people, that might not be enough to see it digitally or online. You know, as I mentioned, the online presence is great to get that visibility. But sometimes people need to see a person in front of them, you know, and have that face-to-face -face interaction with an individual and confidently say, I am gay, I am lesbian. I am bisexual, I am transgendered. And to have that confidence to say that to an individual is probably one of the most empowering things that anybody could ever do. Yeah, I think we need to talk more about it on this you know, sensitive yet very important issue. And hence, we, we're talking to you today on this podcast. And thank you very much for coming and discussing this with us. I think it's been absolutely fantastic having, oh, having you over, uh, Makinder, and having this chat today. It's, um, it's been a pleasure. And uh, we hope that with this and many other such uh, topics,
talks and various media interactions that you are able to give the message to the people and help really help us reform society in a, in a positive way going forward. So thanks so much again. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. You can catch all upcoming episodes on the website globalize-asian.co.uk or via your iOS or Android devices. Also, if you wish to join us as a speaker and share your story, please do drop us a message via the contact form on the website. That's it for now from Gagan and Vatsala. Thank you very much, guys, for listening to our podcast. A quick shout out to our supporter for the podcast, Royal Beans. Royal Beans is a premium artisan chocolate brand operating out of the city of Bangalore in India. Currently, they are offering Belgian chocolate bonbons infused with interesting flavors like cappuccino, masala chai, dark chocolate ganache, sea salt caramel, and many more. Just visit their website on royalbeans.in and order for yourself or get it delivered to your loved ones in major cities across India. As a listener of a podcast, you are entitled to get 10% discount on the order value when you use the code GLA10 at the checkout. So go ahead and check it out.